Now let's, let's pray together, okay? We start our time in the word. Lord, just thank you so much for the way you've encouraged my heart this week through the study of uh, your word. Pray you'd help me as I, by your grace, try to encourage my friends as we seek to reach out and share the gospel and see salvation of those closest to us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I'll start with a couple questions here for you just to, to think about internally, a little internal dialogue here. What do you think of when you think of the word boldness? Don't answer out loud, just think in your mind. What does that say to you? What comes to your mind when you think about the word boldness? Pastor just mentioned, and Pastor Brent as well, that word. What comes to your mind when you think of the word boldness? I'll ask you this, do you see yourself as a bold person? Do you see yourself that way? I'd be curious just to, if we you know, closed our eyes and raised our hands, how many would say, yes, I believe so by God's grace, and how many would say, uh, I need to grow in that area, and maybe it's day-to-day at times, right? But do you see yourself as a bold person? Here's a question for you. Where does boldness come from? Those that maybe even our, our brother this last week who was bold and seeing his father, where did that come from? I mean, there's, there's some ideas you just heard from Pastor Vradenberg about where it comes from. And then a final question, what does spirit-filled boldness in your life look like? If God gave you spirit-filled boldness tonight and this week and so forth, how would that look? I mean, all different situations for all of us here. We have, you know, we have peer, we have people that go to work every day and they want to witness, but what does that look like for them? Many of us have unsaved loved ones. How would that look for us to be spirit-filled, bold? Uh, I I heard today, even we have college students that in, in classrooms in the area that wonder, should I speak up? My whole class seems to think one way and if I speak up, I might have a grade affected it genuinely, and people affirm that, but should I speak up and when and how so and so forth? What would it look like for you and I to be spirit-filled, bold? Okay? We'll come back to that. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 tonight. And while you're turning there, I'll introduce kind of a, a story, a history lesson. It was touched on this morning, actually. I kind of was glad it didn't go any further. But John Bunyan was a 17th century Baptist pastor in England. Many know the name John Bunyan. John Bunyan was not aligned with the Church of England, but was very influential, which for those in charge of the Church of England was a problem. They didn't like that. This Baptist pastor, non-aligned pastor having this big following people listening to him and and being influenced by his ministry and so what took place is British politicians passed legislation forbidding any unlicensed pastor or preacher from having a meeting of more than five people but you know where this went Bunyan was eventually arrested he spent uh, years of his adult life in jail behind bars even with a wife and, and, and children in his home at one point, a, a sympathetic magistrate was trying to, to see this man of God, clearly man of God, uh, released. And, Bo- and Bunyan 
replied in the courtroom famously, just being honest, if you release me today, I will preach tomorrow. What happened was Bunyan would then preach in the courtyard. Inmates would come and listen every Lord's Day as he exposited the scriptures and eventually hundreds of people in in the town outside the prison would come and assemble and listen to Bunyan preach the word of God every Lord's Day. Again, a problem. The officials couldn't have this and so this was backfiring for them. And so what did they do? They put him back deeper into the prison in solitude and silence where he could not influence people with his preaching. Undoubtedly, Bunyan was frustrated by this setup. He loved to preach. His passion was to pastor people and preach the word. And yet, in the silence and solitude of the inner prison there in Bedford, England, Bunyan would end up reaching more people than anyone could have ever imagined. You see, in the inner cell of that prison, Bunyan wrote a story, an allegory. The main character was a man named Christian. And in the story, the gospel of Jesus and his work on the cross convicts Christian, and Christian believes the gospel. He becomes an outcast in his town, and the story then tells how Christian encounters temptations and obstacles and failures, the slough or slew of despond is one of them, on his journey to the celestial city. And so instead of silencing John Bunyan, and in spite of Bunyan's frustrations, likely, John Bunyan did something he would never would have done possibly otherwise, and that was to write a story called Pilgrim's Progress that would become one of the best-selling books in English history. And I'll say again, God used John Bunyan through seeming setbacks to reach more people than anyone could have possibly imagined. In Philippians, when we find Paul in a somewhat similar situation, when Paul sat down to write Philippians 1, what did life look like for the Apostle Paul? Imagine Paul sitting down to write the four-chapter book of Philippians, letter to the Philippian church. What did life look like? Where was he? What were his surroundings and circumstances? We find him where? In the capital city of the empire, the city of Rome. Let me cut you up to speed a little bit as far as the story, kind of his prison story as far as how he got where he was. And so uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, just kind of give you a scan here, uh, in Acts 16, founds the church at Philippi. Later in Acts 21, Paul is in Jerusalem. I'll, I'll give you a visual here. So let's say this is, let's see, from your perspective, we have east, west. Okay, so he's in Jerusalem, okay? In Jerusalem, a Jewish mob comes over him. The Romans, mercifully to protect him, arrest him and bring him into a secure prison. He is transferred to a city north of Jerusalem called Caesarea, a little bit away, where he is there for a couple of years, I believe, and gives several defenses of his faith and his belief uh, to men like Festus and Felix and then eventually Agrippa. He's there for a while and I would say prayerfully at one point considers making a decision, a faithful decision. He speaks to Agrippa and he says, I appeal as a Roman citizen to Caesar. I want to go to Rome and see the emperor himself and have the emperor hear my case. And so Agrippa says, fine, you appeal to Caesar, unto Caesar you will go. And so Paul is placed in Acts 27 on a boat, a ship, 
in the Mediterranean, in Caesarea. He's going to go all the way to west to Rome. On this journey, it was not a, it was more of a kind of a, you know, they got, they got lost at sea in the winds and all that. He ends up on an island called Malta, you know, the story, Acts 27, 28, and eventually gets to the capital of the empire in Italy, the city of Rome. He's a prisoner all the way through. And in Rome, he's not in jail likely. He's more likely in Acts 28 in a house, under house arrest, literally chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like John Bunyan in that house in Rome, unable to come and go anywhere, folks, God uses Paul to share the gospel in a way that no one could have ever imagined. He opens major doors. This brings us to Philippians 1. The Philippians hear about Paul. They hear about the shipwreck and the arrest, and he's a prisoner in Rome. They're concerned about him. They send to Rome a man named Epaphroditus with a gift to Paul, and they want to find out how Paul is doing. Paul sends a note back with Epaphroditus back to Philippi to give them an update. In Philippians 1, 1 through 11, Paul gives this greeting, and it's kind of gross, just being honest. This is dripping with love. There is so much love that Paul has for the Philippian people, the church's friends back in Philippi in verses 1 through 11, which brings us to verse 12. He gives his update here, beginning in verse 12. He says this, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. We've all said this before. You're not going to believe this, but... That's what Paul is saying here. This opening phrase, I would you should understand, is a, a, a common phrase back in the first century. It's like saying, you're not going to believe this, okay? But I want you to know something. Yes, it's true. I was shipwrecked on the way to Rome. I'm imprisoned here, chained literally to a Roman soldier. I can't leave this house. But believe it or not, doesn't make a lot of sense. Stay with me. What has happened to me, believe it or not, has actually fallen out. It has turned out for the furtherance, the advance, the progress of the gospel. The reply is, how? You can't go anywhere. You're stuck in this house, apparently. How can this turn out to the furtherance of the gospel? Well, verse 13. So that my bonds or chains in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. How has Paul being chained, imprisoned in a house in Rome, resulted in the growth and progress of the gospel. Well, the word palace in in verse 13, and other translations are consistent as well, is referring specifically to the palace guard, the imperial guard. The NAS actually translates this specifically the praetorian guard. Who was the praetorian guard? The Praetorian Guard in Rome were 10,000 elite soldiers recruited by Caesar Augustus himself to protect the emperor and his family. Made a lot of money. Some say roughly, in our day, $100,000 a year in today's currency. They worked in this role for 16 years and then retired and were taken care of for the rest of their life. They were influential. They were nicknamed eventually the kingmakers. If you wanted to be the emperor... The Praetorian Guard had to approve of your running for that office and being in that place. And so here's the deal. For two years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in this house, 
Paul is literally chained to one of these members of the Praetorian Guard, the influential Praetorian Guard. Every six hours, one would un, 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 you know, unkey the chain and turn, out, turn it over to somebody else, another guard. And so you could say that Paul is chained to this guard, or you could look at this and say that, in a way, this influential guard was chained to Paul. <laughs> you know where this is going, right? These guards are around Paul. They watch him pray. They watch him study and write and, I'm sure, comment. And they watch and hear him share the gospel with visitors that come by and come to see him. And what happens? These influential Praetorian guard members, in some cases, confess Christ as Savior and Lord. And they become extremely influential evangelists. Paul could never have done this. But God does this through a situation similar to John Bunyan in some ways. I'll give you a quote here. This is F.B. Meyer, extended quote. I'll just, just, just listen along with me here. At times the hired room would be thronged with people to whom the apostle spoke words of life. And after they withdrew, the sentry would sit beside him, the, the, the guard, filled with many questionings as to the meaning of the words which this strange prisoner spoke. At other times, when all had gone, especially at night, when the moonlight shone in the distant slopes of Sarakti, I'm saying that wrong probably, soldier and apostle would be left to talk in those dark, lonely hours. The apostle would tell the soldier after soldier the story of his own proud career in early life, his opposition to Christ, his ultimate conversion, and would make it clear that, the, that he was there as a prisoner not for any crime, not because he had raised rebellion or revolt, but because he believed that him whom the Roman soldiers had crucified under Pilate was the Son of God and the Savior of men. As these tidings spread, the soldiers talked them over with one another. The whole guard would become influenced in sympathy with the meek and gentle apostle who always showed himself so kindly to, to the men as they shared, however involuntarily, in his imprisonment. And Paul says this, my chains, I'm in prison, not for wrongdoing, but for Christ. Members of this guard were hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, and then, crazy, sharing the gospel. And, and not just that, but Paul being in Rome here, the publicity certainly grew in this New movement regarding Jesus of Nazareth. Because of Paul legal, Paul's legal case, Roman officials were forced to study and examine the person and teachings of Jesus Christ. How God works here. I think of the verse in Genesis where Joseph says, You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And then verse 14, a further benefit. We'll camp here for a bit. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because of Paul's example, the reception of the prestigious Praetorian guards of the gospel, the growing scope of Paul's case, Roman Christians there in Rome are encouraged and empowered to be more bold to speak the word of God without fear. What a cool passage, huh? Isn't that neat? Cool, cool thing. Let me give you three brief observations and then we'll make some application as far as 
our own lives, uh, bridging from first century to 2024. Three observations first. First of all, to Paul, it didn't matter how Paul was doing. (laughs) All he really cared about was how the gospel was doing. How am I doing? To be honest, not awesome. I'm in chains. Not totally pleasant here. But you know what? Who cares how I'm doing? The gospel is advancing. And he says in verse 18, therein I rejoice and will rejoice. Now now consider this, y'all, what Paul is saying here. Why is that? Why could Paul say, you know, I'm in jail, I'm I'm I'm, I'm chained in this house, I'm restricted. Why is everything okay, though? Because to Paul, in Paul's mind, the message of the gospel was that important. The message of the gospel was really that good. To Paul, the message of the gospel was the greatest message that anybody could ever give to anybody. Let me just stop for a second. What is the gospel? What is the message Paul is so fired up about here? What is that? We could, we could say a lot here, obviously, but I think the most succinct version of the gospel Paul ever gave or wrote, at least, is found in 1 Timothy 1. Paul says this, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And then what does he say? As we know, of whom I am chief. That's the gospel. Folks, don't miss this. Don't miss this, please, all right? It is about being bold and not having fear and fighting fear, but listen, don't miss this. Behind this, the gospel, the heart of God yearns. The heart of God is desperate for broken and sinful people to know how much he loves them and how unquenchable his desire is to redeem them. You know, imagine a summer day, you'd like to maybe, July or August, it's hot outside, it's humid like it is around here. You are sweating, you're huffing and puffing a little bit, and you are desperate for a glass of cold water. Times a million, that is the heart of God. He is desperate. His heart is desperate to redeem broken, sinful people to himself. And I'll just say, regarding our loved ones, your loved one. Your family member, your son, daughter, mom, dad, grandparent, cousin, uncle, aunt, niece, nephew, husband, wife. God loves them. (laughs) Do you love them? I'm sure you do. But how much more does God, the creator, love that individual? And listen, simply put, don't be afraid to tell him that. As a sinner, God loves you. He is after you more than anybody, any of us even, could possibly ever imagine. Paul didn't care about his own circumstances. It was what is the gospel doing and who is hearing it? Is it growing? That's all he cared about. Number two observation, even for Christians in first century Rome, fear and witnessing was a thing. It was a thing. They became, verse 14, more bold to speak the word of God without fear. But mark it down, fear had been an obstacle. It still was. And so if you're in, in, the, in the boat of, you know, when I share the gospel, it's a little bit unnerving at times, I'm a little fearful, listen, join the club. It was an issue back in the first century in Rome, and it still is today. 
Don't be afraid of the fear. It's, just, it's, it's part of life. Now, some of you I wonder about, okay? I'm gonna, you're gonna not like this probably, but, you know, George Parrish, does he fear? I wonder at times. Where's George at, okay? Y'all, if you wanna learn how to witness better, George would be a great guy to talk to. I'm just, sorry, brother, but that's my honest feeling, okay? George, I go to prayer meeting and George... Witnesses to his bar room, witnesses to the guy who's building his deck and the guy that fixes his, H, you know, his neighbor. And, you know, but most of us, it's, it's a little tougher, right? I mean, let's be honest about that. It's a little more difficult. There are a few exceptions. There are some, I guess. But for most of us, fear is something that can affect our sharing of Christ. And then third observation, Christians in first century Rome needed God, uh, needed God-given boldness to share Jesus. And so do we. And so do we. Again, many of the brothers and sisters in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. What is boldness in witnessing? Are you a bold person? Why or why not? Should we ask God for, wit- for boldness in sharing the gospel? A couple of verses here briefly, I'll just... A simple Bible study, Philippians 1.20, just a couple verses later, Paul writes, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, either by life or by death. He asked God for boldness. Acts 4, the early church, they pray this prayer. Listen to what they pray. Uh, Acts 4, 29 and 31. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Verse 31. When they had prayed, good thing to pray for, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with what? Boldness. 1 Thessalonians 2, 2. Even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated at Philippi, We were bold in our God, bold in our God to speak unto you the word of God, the gospel of God with much contention. And then lastly in Ephesians 6, let's keep it for a second, 19 and 20, Paul is asking for prayer and he says, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so application, what does this look like? What does this look like? One writer said this, Christ followers don't disagree with the need uh, to be pointed to God, people to be pointed to God. They just struggle with how to get, get it done sometimes. Is it confrontational? Is it lifestyle friendship? Which one is it? All of the above, Right? Yes, build relationships with people, share the gospel with your life, serve in evangelism, invite people to church, to events and so forth. But folks, just call it what it is here. Most people who wind up in the kingdom of God can trace their salvation back to a single life-changing conversation with a follower of Christ. And so what does this look like? And we're going to do one one last thing here. Can I get a couple of... Uh, people to pass these out. I should have done this beforehand, but I didn't. But a couple, I want to give you some tools here, if that's okay. Just pass them out to everybody. I'll just keep talking, all right? I'm going to give you a tool here, all right? Uh, just make more than that, okay? 
you can get one of those, but what does this look like? What does boldness look like, y'all? I mean, in real life, on a Tuesday evening at the trash, you know, bring the trash can to the front of the, the yard, your neighbor's out there, what does boldness look like? At a family gathering, when you want to share Christ with someone, what does it look like to be bold? If you're at coffee or breakfast or lunch with a, a family member or a friend or whatever, what does boldness look like? Okay? I'm going to give you just four, a snapshot of what it looks like as far as how to share the gospel. And then we'll go, we'll go to prayer. Four things here. First of all, ask an appropriate question. Ask an appropriate question. Give you a thought that you want here. Just listen. Everybody get this here, okay? Chew on this thought. Boldness in witnessing often begins with a question. Right? With a question. Okay? Sometimes God just opens your, your mouth and you just unload the gospel. <laughs> you just kind of jump on it and the door's wide open. But I think in most cases, boldness starts with a question. How do you witness? How do you be bold? A natural way is to have a few appropriate questions ready. A uh, good book, Honest Evangelism, Rico Tice, he writes, two life skills I found to be essential in witnessing are these. Two skills. Number one, ask questions. Two, chat your faith. Make it natural. Just flow out of what your life's all about, what you think, what you see. Ask questions and chat your faith. Okay? So again, I'm giving you a resource here to look at. We'll, we'll do this in just a second. But boldness in witness, witnessing often begins with a, a what? A question. And so I want to encourage you to have a few good questions to enable boldness. Be ready to go with a couple good questions when you're at the trash can in front of the yard over the fence or at coffee or whatever. And God gives you an opportunity steering toward, uh, steering toward spiritual things. Have a good question ready to go. Number two, what does it look like? Request permission. Again, sometimes somebody just takes the floor and just begins to monologue about the gospel, but quite often I think it's appropriate to ask permission. There's a book called uh, Share Jesus Without Fear, Bill Fay, several years ago. His question was this, if what you are believing right now is not true, a <laughs> little blunt, would you like to know? If what you're believing right now is not true, would you like to know? Or you could just say, would it be okay if I share with you what the Bible says about salvation or being saved? Um, a book that I don't recommend entirely. It's, it's sort of a, a little bit of a controversial one, but Lifestyle Evangelism, Joe Aldrich says, he gives these questions or, or he gives these things. Sometime I'd like the opportunity to share with you four principles that will help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Could I share those four principles with you at some point? Request permission. You know, I'll tell you all just briefly without taking too much time here. We're getting close to the end, but... I had the joy of sharing the gospel with both, my, both of my Italian grandparents before they passed into eternity, separately. Grandpa Merck's over the phone, Grandma Angie over McDonald's, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit in her apartment. And in both cases, boldness for me was deep breath in Grandpa, Grandma, would it be okay with you if I shared with you what the Bible says about being saved? Deep breath, been praying for 30 years in both cases, and in both cases they said, Yes, that'd be fine. Number three, share the gospel with them. Y'all, I'll tell you this. If a friend gives permission to a believer to share the gospel, 
That is an incredible moment, isn't it? That's an incredible moment. Yes, please tell me. Romans 1.16, the power of God, the salvation is being unleashed to do its work. There are many ways to share the gospel. You, if you don't know them, feel free to ask myself or one of our pastors or anybody here. And You have the, the Romans road, four steps in Romans, the, the bridge tract illustration, the way of the master, um, or just your personal story, how you came to Christ. The witness must include repentance, saying no to sin, and faith, saying yes to Christ, who he is and what he did. Share the gospel, and then finally, Invite them to respond and receive Christ as their Lord and their Savior. The gospel invites a response. And don't be afraid when you share the gospel to say, would you like to do that today? You know, Bill Fay's question, are you ready to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and your life? Aldrich gives three questions. Does the gospel make sense? Based on this, have you ever committed your life to Christ as your Savior? And if not, is there any reason... Right now, why you wouldn't want to put your faith in Christ, Christ at this moment. As John said, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so let me give you one quick assignment, and then we'll go to prayer here. But look at the, 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 the handout I gave you there, okay? I want to encourage you to give yourself a tool for being bold. Boldness often starts with a question. Look those over, just about a minute here, just briefly. And I, would, I want to encourage you to circle two or three. Pick two or three that might be appropriate as you see it to have ready in your mind when the opportunity comes to share a question that might lead to a conversation that is spiritual. Make sense? All right. Give you just a minute here briefly. Pick two or three. About 10 seconds. You can come back if you need to, if you, that's not enough time for you. You wrap up here, okay? So, just kind of putting things together here. Oops, lost my microphone. For some of us, witnessing is pretty natural. For some of you, you're just gifted at it, and it's, it comes natural to share the gospel with people around you and so forth. For some, it's a little harder, okay? I believe that clarity in our thinking produces confidence, and I trust that this has been helpful to you as far as sharing the gospel and so forth, um, with those in your family especially, all right? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, just being, being real here, I'm a list guy. I, I love lists. I'm pretty organized. Uh, Kelly would say sometimes too organized at times, right? And 
and I'll tell you, I have like 25 areas of my life that I try to be intentional in, and I review them every week. And sincere, there is one of those 25 categories in my goal list that is hard to schedule. It just is. At least it is for me. You know what it is? Sharing Jesus. It just is. And we can schedule, obviously, intentional evangelism like Pastor Jan, we do often. and That can be scheduled. But as far as witnessing to those closest to us, that can be hard. It's just hard to schedule. And so we need to be in contact with them. Pastors mentioned calling them and just being around them and serving them and being in their lives. And as we do that, it's important, I would say, with one word, one, one word of a recommendation here for you from the Bible, and that is this, the word ready. Being ready. How many times do you finish a conversation and say, oh, I missed it. I wasn't ready. It was there for me. I just missed it. I wasn't ready. Be ready. When God gives an opportunity, I encourage you, be ready. Be ready to go this week. All right? Boldness, again, often starts with what? An appropriate what? Question. And so I encourage you to have a couple of questions ready in your mind. I'll finish with this piece of advice from the Bible, 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. My friends, be ready always to give an answer to every man or woman that asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I think all of us who know Christ want everyone around us to know the gospel to know how much you love them in spite of their brokenness and their sin. God, help us be better. Help us to grow and help us be ready. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.